There's a lot. Uh, we can make a list of all the things that we love about the Christmas season. I don't have to give you many examples. But one I think we often do not recognize, or maybe we just don't consciously know, is that one of the reasons why we might love Christmas is because it's such a long season packed with parties and traditions and decorating that it might actually distract us from some of the harder things in our life. We almost move from event to event, task to task. We got to buy these presents, got to do this with the kids, make these cookies, go to this parade, decorate our house. And we keep ourselves busy with happy things, which is a good thing. But sometimes that means for some of us that our problems, our, our loneliness, our issues, the things that we dread in life kind of take a back seat and they become on the back burner because they get a little less attention in our mind because we're so busy. But when January comes around, those problems and issues and loneliness may all shine the brighter when we are less busy with holidays. Christmas almost becomes a, a festive distraction from the reality of life at times. Right? When the family leaves and packs the car on Sunday or on, on Christmas afternoon and the tree is packed away, we're back in our own space, in our own reality, and life is still going on. But I think that's what makes, you know, Christmas, Jesus, the coming of Jesus so amazing because Jesus didn't come for the only purpose to give us a month of relief, of distraction of problems or anxiety. No, Jesus came to give us an eternal rest, one that lasts beyond the Christmas season. Not just a, a temporary medicine, but true salvation from ourselves and from our own sin. With Jesus, January's not only become survivable, but actually joyful. Because our loneliness or our problems or our issues or our reality don't have to rule us, but Jesus can. So Christmas, true Christmas is the declaration that Jesus has come into our life with real hope. Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time studying some of these Christmas passages, these familiar passages, especially in the Gospel of Luke. And at times, these stories and verses just feel like they're a good little holiday pick-me-up for us for this, this cold winter. That's fine that they do that. But these verses and stories are more just to carry you through December. They're to carry you to Jesus eternally. Uh, many of these might be familiar to you. Stories of Mary and Joseph, of the nativity sets. But I think these are exactly what your heart needs. We need to encounter the God who became one of us to save us. Next week, we're going to be in the New Testament in Luke's gospel, looking at the events surrounding his birth. But today, we're going to rewind even a little bit further back in salvation history to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. We're going to be hundreds of years. We're going to be 700 years today before the birth of Jesus, which means that's 2,700 years ago from today. So if you have a Bible, please open up to the prophecy of Isaiah. We're going to be in a couple of verses in chapter 7 and a few verses in chapter 9. It's on page 572 of that Bible in front of the pew. 572. So we're going to begin this Christmas season at CVBC with a few passages from Isaiah. Once you find Isaiah 7, verse 10, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? 
Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Turn over to chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes this morning that we may see wondrous things in this Old Testament passage today. Spirit, help us. Amen. Please be seated. Now, uh, we are missing most of the characters we have in our nativity sets at home. Right? There's no shepherds or camels or wise men here, and yet this is a Christmas passage. This is a clear announcement that that nativity story will happen in the future, that there will be one day a baby in swaddling clothes in a manger. This is the birth announcement 700 years in the future. And this birth announcement doesn't just say he's coming. It does that, but it actually says who he is and what he is going to do. And I think if we understand this and we understand more of our Old Testament This will make that nativity story, the incarnation of Jesus, that much more beautiful too. This birth of Jesus is not just a sweet, fun, inspirational story. It is the coming of a long-expected Savior. And these passages give us a clearer view of Jesus. So what do these two passages, Isaiah 7 and 9, actually mean? What's the main point? Here it is. There is good news for your real life. A child was born... And his name is Emmanuel. There is good news for your real life. A child was born and his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
Verse 14 of chapter 7, we are told that a virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and his name shall be Emmanuel. What Emmanuel means in, in Hebrew is God with us. This child being born is not a mere child, hence the uniqueness of the virgin birth. We'll talk about that next sermon. But this child is called Emmanuel, which means that this child is not just fully human like you and I are, but he's fully human and fully God, born God himself, God made flesh. Right, this is not just a typical birth announcement you might see on, on Facebook. It's good news. You might hit like, you might comment, congratulations. But this birth announcement is one that actually changes the entire world. This is the announcement that God is here and this is good news for us. Today, looking at these passages, we're going to see three reasons why it is good news that Emmanuel has come. And the first reason is this, because he has entered our real world. I mean two things here by world. First of all, pretty obviously, by world we mean Jesus physically coming to dwell in our world, on our earth, to breathe the air we breathe, to walk the streets of mankind. Yes, Jesus came into this location, right, of the world when he was born. I think we grasp that pretty well, but what I want to focus on, what I think Isaiah focuses on here, of the meaning of the world, meaning of the word world, is that God actually came to enter into our realities, Your problems, your life, your identity, your struggles, the things that keep you up at night, stressing the things you celebrate, the things you dread, the coming of Jesus to our world is Jesus coming to see and to deal with our real problems and our real selves, right? Jesus is interested in you and your reality. You may feel alone, you might feel forgotten, you might feel like you're on the treadmill of life and you need rest. Jesus came into this world into your world to show you he cares about you. We see this in the first passage we read in Isaiah chapter, chapter 7. Right, there's the famous verse there in verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. But before we get to that verse, we read about a man named King Ahaz. Maybe you saw that in verse 10. If we had all the time in the world today, we would read all of Isaiah up to this point. But I want to give you the summary here. God's people, people he called to himself, Israel, is not in a good place. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel broke off and split the nation. The, the revolting ten tribes kept the name Israel, but the other two tribes, Judah in the south, um, are now called Judah a kingdom, and King Ahaz here is leading them as a king. They are deflated, right? If you lose ten of your twelve tribes, that's kind of a bad day. There's disappointment, there's tension, but not only that, a powerful enemy nation named Assyria is flexing its muscles and taking down kingdom after kingdom. So nations are creating allies and pacts and treaties, trying to defend themselves. And the little nation of Judah, the two tribes of, 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 of Judah and Ahaz are leading, are caught up in this pressure. So Ahaz is doing what any political leader can do. Right, he's shaking hands, he's kissing babies, trying to figure out how we can manage to survive as a little nation. But behind the scenes, he is terrified. In chapter 7, verse 3, it mentions that Ahaz and his, and, his, and his people are so nervous about the potential war that it says, quote, they're shaking as trees of the forest shake before the wind. They are scared to death. 
And in the midst of this anxiety of looking out their window saying, is today going to be the day that we are conquered? This is the moment. This is the emotion. This is the grief that then God speaks in this promise. One day, a baby named Emmanuel will come. God does not just announce the birth of Jesus at a random time. He speaks it to Ahaz in the midst of their biggest trial in centuries. The country is panicking. What's God going to do? He's going to proclaim good news of actual, real, tangible hope. We often think a lot of Bible verses exist on themselves. We can quote them, but there is so much historical and emotional context here. God is delivering hope and good news to a nation that fears it will no longer be a nation. God is putting his stamp of affirmation and protection, says, you might go through some hard times here soon, but one day you will be so secure because I'm sending my son. The good news he offers is that one day Emmanuel, God himself, will dwell with his people. So in Isaiah 7 here, God sent Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz in the midst of trouble, and he says to Ahaz, he says, hey, ask any sign of God. It can be as deep down as death, as high up as the heavens. Ask God for anything, and God will do it for you to show you that he will protect you if you let him. And Ahaz, in his stubbornness, as, we're gonna, as you will read about all in Isaiah, he says, no, I don't need a sign. I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm going to keep doing my own political stuff. And God says, fine, you don't want me to save you now, but I'm going to trump you because one day I'm going to send a real king who's going to be fully trustworthy, and his name is Emmanuel. Ahaz did not accept God's offer to be helped. He sat in stubbornness. And maybe you and I know what that means. And yet God says, okay, despite your stubbornness, I'm still going to bless the future of this nation. What I love is that God gave the promise of a savior to Israel at a time when they desperately needed help. And yet we're resisting God's help. Sometimes even though we say no to God, God still says yes to us. In the mess of division, in the mess of politics, in the mess of their sin, God still brings good news. He says, Emmanuel is coming. Now, it's unfortunate here that Ahaz and the people reject God's help. You can read through all of Isaiah, you'll see their stubbornness. God offered them rescue, but they said, I can handle life on my own. And yet, despite their stubbornness and sin, God still shows grace. But what I want to reiterate again in chapter 7, is that God came to Ahaz and the people in the very midst of their trouble and suffering and their anxiety. He doesn't sit up in heaven and just watch Ahaz um, spin around in chaos. No, God brings a word to him. He sends a prophet. He says, ask me anything and I'll show you I can take care of you. God says, I'm going to give you a great sign of Emmanuel to show you that I will be with you in your reality, in your real life, in the midst of what you're going through. I will be there. I, sh- I, sh- I shared this recently, I believe, but there was a day um, uh, 12 years ago last week when I had that worst phone call of my life, where I got the phone call that one of my best friends tragically died. And in that moment, if you're, maybe you've been in a moment like that, right? There's this rush of, of emotion and doubt, and then eventually there's this rush of tears that start pouring down my face, and I have never felt more helpless, never felt more alone. And yet there was my roommate, 10 feet away from me. He stopped whatever he was doing. 
And he just came over to me. He didn't say a word because he knew if he said everything's going to be okay, I probably would have punched him because everything's not going to be okay, right? He comes over and he just stands with me. He was with me in the moment of my reality. And looking back, is that means that's the best thing you could ever do for someone is just be with them in their reality, not shying away, but entering into it. Friends, it's so easy to look at God or Jesus or a Christmas story and think it's just this abstract thing. It's a good story. It's a cute story. It's inspirational, but it has no bearing on my actual life. And yet here's God announcing the birth of Jesus to a people in the midst of their biggest struggle in their life. God meets people in their reality, in their real world. And if you fast forward the 700 years from this into the Gospels, even if this week you glance through the Gospel headings, you're going to see Jesus doing this. You're going to see Jesus meeting a woman at a well who is so emotionally exhausted from finding her identity in failed relationships. You're going to see Jesus healing blind men and lepers who are left begging outside of the temple. You're going to see Jesus comforting a widow who's at the funeral of her son. You don't see Jesus ruling from a throne distant, not caring about the realities of his people. No, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us even in our most perilous trials. He leans into our reality. He's not abstract. He's not hypothetically there. He is tangibly there. He himself endured hunger and thirst. He endured the feeling of what it's like when you lose a loved one. He endured mocking and false accusation. He was the target of gossip. He faced family turmoil and rejection. He encountered temptation to sin. Jesus himself, Emmanuel, faced every temptation we face and encountered what we encounter and was afflicted with what we are afflicted with. He did not come to just die on a cross and leave and not get personal. He became one of us in our world with our real world problems. So Emmanuel being born is good news because we have real issues and real problems and real afflictions and Emmanuel, Jesus, can handle them. He endured them, and he can love us through them. He is not distant. He is here. And this is what makes Christmas so important. This is what makes Christmas and Christianity separate from so many other religions. Because Christianity says Jesus became man. He put on humanity to save humanity. He knows us. He sees us. He knows our reality. He knows the things that you and I want to forget, the things that we regret, the things we endured. He sees it and came into our real stuff and says, I will be your savior. He entered into King Ahaz's problems and he's willing to enter into yours. And he sees everything. Those relationship problems, those divorces, those breakups, the tension at your home. He sees your job that you dislike and you want to move on from. He sees that, that cancer. He sees that loneliness. He sees the emptiness. He sees those longings that are unfulfilled after all of these years. He sees it and he says, I am Emmanuel, God with you. Some of you should be comforted knowing that God came into our world and sees you in it, that you are seen. 
But this should lead to a question. Maybe you're encouraged by that, but is that enough? Just that God is here. Next question should be, okay, he's with me, so what? Is that it? Well, this is point number two. It's also good news that Emmanuel has come because he brings real grace and salvation to us. Real grace. Real salvation. Yes, he comes into our reality, our real world, but he comes with things. Grace and salvation. Look again at chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt into the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied this nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 1 mentions there's anguish. Verse 2 mentions there's darkness. There's this gloom this emotional and spiritual atmosphere around the people of God here. And they're trying to find a political ally or strength to help them win and survive. But here we are told in our language here that the greatest ally that you and I can have is this Emmanuel, is Jesus. Because only this Jesus can turn darkness into light. Only Jesus can bring joy to a people and carry the burden of a person and carry the burden of the people of God. This story of baby Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem being born to a virgin is God making this passage a reality. Chapter 9 verses 1 to 5 become a reality when Jesus is born, bringing salvation to those in despair. So look at it as if these verses here are the results of Jesus coming on Christmas Day. This is what Jesus does. He comes to bring grace and salvation to his people. Here in verse 1, we read that the land is about to be conquered. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali are in danger. And soon afterward, they were conquered and overtaken for a time period. But at the end of the verse, of verse 1, it says, but in the latter time. At any time in the Bible, you see the word but, you should underline it. Okay, spiritual but. You can quote me on that. But in the latter time, which always means God is invading history with grace and things are going to turn around. As in, it might be a dark time now, but God has his secret weapon of grace named Jesus who's going to bring light. He will turn something ugly into something glorious. And if you, if you read this and then you keep reading into the Gospels, you're going to see how, how exciting and interwoven the Bible is here. Because the lands mentioned here in verse 1 that are considered dark, Zebulun, Naphtali, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee, the nations, this period that's going to go through darkness and depression as it's overtaken, that's the very land that Jesus ministers to first in the Gospels. He starts in Galilee. 
preaching the gospel, to set the captives free. That's a fulfilled prophecy of chapter 9. Where it is dark for centuries, Jesus comes in and brings light. So Jesus does this in reality. He makes dark things glorious. This glory is described in verses 2 to 5. This baby born to a virgin is going to bring this reality. Right now, the people feel anxious and helpless and sad, but Jesus is coming to secure and bring joy and to help. This baby is coming with real grace and real salvation to a real people dealing with real stuff. I mean, think about what's going on here. These people have shrunk tremendously in population. They've gone from 12 tribes down to two. People living in darkness because they're surrounded by armies and their land is about to be conquered. They go to bed at night wondering if they're going to wake up in the morning. They're shaking out of anxiousness and fear in chapter 7. And they have a small army and they're going to lose the battle. So look at chapter 9 and look at how Jesus is going to contrast those things. He's going to bring light into the darkness. No longer will they go to bed in the dark wondering if they're going to be captured Jesus is going to be shining his light of protection. No longer are they going to remain a small nation of two tribes, but verse 3 says their nation will be multiplied. Their nation will grow. No longer will they be sad and fearful, shaking in fear, but verse 4 says they will increase in joy like farmers of the harvest who are splitting up the spoil and the fruit, so rejoicing at their abundance. And this Jesus... This Emmanuel is described in verses 4 and 5 as a warrior who will fight for his people. This nation doesn't need an army, they just need one warrior. And his name is Emmanuel who will take the burdens of his people, the problems, the longing, the sin, the peril, put it on his back, and he will trample over the enemy, and he will cause a bloodshed of the enemy to defend his people. So can you imagine the hope that this would bring to the people as they're sitting there shaking, wondering what's going to happen to their future nation, and they are promised, despite your sin, despite your stubbornness, your people will be saved by Emmanuel. All of your fears can be set aside because Jesus will one day come with real grace and real salvation, and God speaks directly into their reality. Some of you are going to um, open a gift at Christmas time that you will never use. You all have that family member, that friend who apparently was up at 2 a.m. and ordered that thing off the infomercial and they give it to you so excited and you, know, you put on your brave face, you say, thank you so much. And in, internally you're thinking, I am never gonna use this thing. Have you ever wondered why they show those things at 2 a.m.? You don't think right at 2 a.m., so you order it. If it was on at noon, no one would buy any of the things that are on TV. Right? But the thought counts, it matters. People were thinking of you, they buy you something, but you're never going to use it. It's not practical. Sometimes we view the Bible and we view Jesus like that. Like, okay, that's, the thought counts, you love me, God, that's great. But we don't actually think he is practical for us. But Jesus is everything practical and usable and helpful. Jesus comes with real salvation and real grace for your real problems. Here God speaks directly into what the people needed, and God said he is the one who's going to rescue them. I want to note one more thing here in verse 4 that I find just wonderful about the Bible, how it connects. The end of verse 4, do you see where it says, The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
Well, what's Midian? What happened there? Well, back in Judges chapter 7, so earlier book, hundreds of years before, Gideon was a leader of the people of God, and he was leading the people of God into a battle. And Gideon brought his army of 22,000 men to win. And God made Gideon, through a funny series of events, shrink down to 300 men, which seems like a terrible idea in our, in our, in our head, right? To go from 22,000 to 300. And then not only that, God didn't say, okay, now you're going to sneak attack them. He goes, no, you're all going to blow a trumpet at the same time and you'll win the battle. 300 men against an army and all they bring really are their trumpets. But God said, do this. Why? To show Gideon that salvation is by God and on God's terms. God does the saving and he doesn't do it in the way you and I would do it. So when Isaiah 9 mentions that Emmanuel, that Jesus is going to win the battle like at Midian, that means that Jesus is going to save his people in an unexpected way and that Jesus alone can take credit for it. And what is that way? It's a baby being born to a virgin into poverty who will grow up to die on a criminal's cross. That's 300 men in a trumpet. Is that how you and I would expect to be saved from our problems? I have these financial problems, these relationship problems. I have this sin I'm addicted to. I just need more strength than my own. I need to make better decisions. I need this. I need this. No, no. We need Jesus. We would expect our own strength, our own money, our own connections, our own prestige to save us. But a baby born to a virgin who will die on a cross, that is God declaring he does the saving. So friends, when you drive around and you see the lawn decorations with baby Jesus there, remember this passage. This unexpected baby is one who brings grace and salvation to rescue the world from the greatest enemy of all time, and that is sin. Friends, in some time here after Isaiah 9, Israel and Judah continue in their stubbornness and rebellion, and they lose the battle. They're conquered. Their land was lost for a time. They probably felt sadness, not joy. So you, you may not be healed of all of your afflictions that's not the way of Christianity, right? You may not be healed of your sickness. You may not get that job promotion. You may not have everything work out for you. But like the people of Israel and Judah, we can certainly and tangibly be saved from the greatest enemy of all time, and that is sin and death. When it says in verse 5 that Emmanuel will conquer and trample over every warrior opposing him, and there'll be nothing left but a blood-stained field, that's a picture of Jesus permanently defeating sin and Satan for you. We are living in darkness. We are being conquered by our own sin. We lack the joy we were created to have. We are living in a world that should not be our home, but we make it our home. We have burdens and problems, and we can't save ourselves. We, like King Ahaz, don't have the strength or the wisdom to win. And here comes Jesus, Emmanuel, unexpectedly coming, who is strong enough and pure enough and loving enough to fight our battle against sin and flesh, to give us a home, a homeland that is eternal and full of light. I love in Revelation, it talks about how there will be no need for the, the sun, the S-U-N. be no need for electricity in heaven. Do you know why? Because God's glory will shine and make everything vibrant. There will be no darkness. 
Our world today might be full of attacks and anxiety and depression, but one day we will be home with Jesus where there is no tears or famine or nakedness. And why? Because a baby grew up to purchase this for us. And we are given joy, an abundance of joy like at the harvest, despite what we face, because a baby came to bring light into darkness. He took our burden to the cross. He slayed our sin. And now we can be set free from guilt and set free from the expectation that we must measure up in this life because God is with us and that's what matters most. Jesus has brought God to us and we are his all because a baby was born to a virgin. So real grace, real salvation is ours. And our sin that has robbed us of life, the life we're supposed to live, it doesn't have to define us because Jesus can. The most important thing is to be made right with God, and that's what Emmanuel does. Yes, our work problems matter, our family issues matter, health matters, it all matters to Jesus. He came into it, but it doesn't define you. What defines you is the light of Jesus breaking forth and shining through your darkness. And now you can survive and even thrive in the midst of this dark land because Jesus is here, because Emmanuel is here. And he should be fully trusted. And this is the third point. This is why it's good news that Emmanuel has come. Because he is good and can be fully trusted. Jesus has come, he's in our reality, he's coming to bring grace and salvation, and he can be trusted because he is good for all of eternity. He's not just a good news for just a little season of our life, he is good forever. Look at the description in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9 again. Look at who this baby born in a manger, what he's going to be like. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Is this not the leader that we all want to lead us? Like if... You don't believe in God, but you would hope that if there is a God, he is like this. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He can hold the government of the world, everything in the world. He can hold on his back and he can lead well and he can still walk with the burden of the world. He knows what is right and just. He will reign in absolute goodness forever. There is no end to the reign of Jesus. So the birth of a baby to a virgin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is the coronation of a king. A king who is good, a king who can be fully trusted. Right here with Jesus, there is no voting for the lesser of two evils. There's no need ever to compromise with Jesus. There is Jesus and his perfect goodness. And who else would you rather trust in than this Jesus, this Emmanuel? And who else but this Jesus, Emmanuel, can fit this description accurately? 
He is fully trustworthy. He is fully good. He's the prince of peace, the mighty God, the establisher of justice, the everlasting father. So you see his strength and his might, his love and his eternality, his righteousness. He is all of these things fully. He's not just a little slice of all of them together. He is fully all of this forever. So some of you need to bow your knee to King Jesus today. You need to become a Christian today. Bow your knee to the baby in a manger who will grow up to take away the sins of the world, who will bring you into adoption with your heavenly father, who will be your peace with God and get rid of the war you have with God right now because of your sin, who will be your light and your joy and your eternality. Bow your knee to Emmanuel the King. Because one day, just how Jesus, Emmanuel, has come, he's coming again. And just how he made war with sin and he made a bloodshed in the field, that is going to happen again for all who stand in defiance against him. He is coming again. And we have two choices in this world. We stand in defiance against God saying, I can do this on my own. Or we bow our knee before Emmanuel. And all of us Christians need to keep this posture before Jesus. We need to keep our knee bowed before this Emmanuel because at times you and I act like King Ahaz in Judah. We can handle it on our own terms. We have our own strength, our own values, our own idea of what makes the world fun and it always ends up in darkness. Friends, Jesus is righteous. He is just. He's an everlasting loving father. He is everything that we hope to get out of life. So why would we ever stand up? and bow before something else artificial. So when we turn to things like anxiety, we are bowing our knee to self-salvation and doubting Jesus. When we think, I need to solve all of my issues myself, and I stay up late night thinking about these things, we are doubting that Jesus will care for us. When we turn to, to lust, we are bowing our knee to sex and desire, saying that those are way more satisfying than Jesus. When we give all of our affection, our happiness to sports or politics or work or hobbies, we're saying we're going to get more joy out of those things than Jesus who made those things. We must every day return to bowing our knee before Emmanuel, trusting that he is joy, that he is light, that he is satisfying, that he is the point. So this Christmas season, as we sing and we picture and we think about the baby born in Bethlehem. Let our hearts automatically bow down in beautiful submission to him. We can have the attitude of John the Baptist who said, let him increase, let me decrease. So we read his word, we obey his commands, we sing his songs, we imitate his love, we imitate his justice, and we trust that God will carry us all the way to eternity. If he can rest the government of the world on his shoulders, he can take care of you too. Friends, this baby in a manger is the king of the world, the savior of his people, the giver of grace. You can trust him with everything. And come back these next couple weeks as we look at his birth and see more and more of his beauty so that we can know that Emmanuel is with us. Let's pray. King Jesus, 
Emmanuel, thank you for coming to reign and to rule. That we can be made right, that we can find light in the midst of our own darkness because of you being born. We pray that we all will bow our knee to you, see you as supremely worthy, supremely full of joy, that you alone are our salvation and you alone are our hope. King Jesus, make that apparent to us this week as we live our lives, especially this Christmas season. Let us keep our knees bowed before you, Jesus. You are our light and our salvation, our only hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.